Chapter Eight, Part Two of Pointed Roofs by Dorothy Richardson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section Seven: The Sun Had Set. Miriam had found a little thin volume of German poetry in her pocket. She sat fumbling the leaves. She felt the touch of her limp, straightening hair upon her forehead. It did not matter. Twilight would soon come, and bedtime but it must have been beginning to get like that at tea-time. Perhaps the weather would get even hotter. She must do something about her hair. If only she could wear it turned straight back. There was a stirring in the room. Beautiful forms rose and stood and spoke and moved about. Someone went to the door. It opened gently with a peaceful sound on to the quiet hall, and footsteps ran upstairs. Two figures going out from the saal passed in front of the two still sitting quietly grouped in the light of the summer-house. They were challenged as they passed and turned soft profiles and stood talking. Behind the voices, flutings, single notes, broken phrases, long undisturbed warblings came from the garden. Clara was at the piano. Tall behind her stood Millie's gracious, shapeless baby form. As Millie's voice climbing carefully up and down the even stages of Solvay's song reached the second verse, Miriam tried to separate the music from the words. The words were wrong. She half saw a fair woman with a great crown of plaited hair and very broad shoulders singing the song in the Hanover concert room in Norwegian. She remembered the moment of taking her eyes away from the singer and the platform, and feeling the crowded room and the airlessness, and then the song going steadily on from note to note as she listened. No trills and no tune. Saying something. It stood in the air. All the audience were saying it. And then the fair-haired woman had sung the second verse as though it was something about herself tragically tragic muse it was not her song standing there in the velvet dress she stopped it from going on there was nothing but the movement of the lace round her shoulders and chest her expanded neck quivering and the pressure in her voice and then there had been herr bosenberger hammering and shouting it out in the saal with milly and everything in the schoolroom even the dust on the paper-rack standing out clearer and clearer as he bellowed slowly along and then she had got to know that everybody knew about it it was a famous song there were people singing it everywhere in german and french and english a girl singing about her lover it was not that even if people sang it like that if a real girl had ever sung something like that that was not what she meant. The winter may pass. Yes, that was all right. And mountains with green slopes and narrow torrents. And a voice going strongly out and ceasing. And all the sky filling with the sound. And the song going on, walking along, thinking to itself. She looked about as Millie's voice ceased trembling on the last high note. She hoped no one would hum the refrain. There was no one there who knew anything about it. Judy? 
Judy knew, perhaps. Judy would never hum or sing anything. If she did, it would be terrible. She knew so much. Perhaps Judy knew everything. She was sitting on the low sill of the window behind the piano, sewing steel beads onto a shot silk waistband held very close to her eyes. Minna could. Minna might be sitting in her plaid dress on the window seat with her embroidery, her smooth hair polished with bay rum, humming Solvay's song. The housekeeper brought in the milk and rolls and went away downstairs again. The cold milk was very refreshing, but the room grew stifling as they all sat round near the little centre table with the French window nearly closed, shutting off the summer-house and garden. Everybody in turn seemed to be saying, Ich kenne meine Tasse, seest spots. Bertha had begun it, holding up her white glass of milk as she took it from the tray, and exactly imitating the housekeeper's voice. Plattdeutsch spricht sie, ja? Clara had said. It seemed as if there were no more to be said about the housekeeper. At prayers when they were all saying, Vater Unser, she heard Jimmy murmur, Ich kenne meine Tasse. Section 8 Fräulein Pfaff came upstairs behind the girls and ordered silence as they went to their rooms. Here all children, she said in German in the quiet, clear, even tone with which she had just read prayers. No one to speak to her neighbor, no one to whisper or bustle, nor tonight to brush her hair but each to compose her mind and go quietly to her rest. Thus acting, the so great heat shall injure none of us, and peaceful sleep will come. Do you hear, children? Answering voices came from bedrooms. She entered each room, shifting screens, opening each window for a few moments, leaving each door wide. Each her little corner, she said in Miriam's room, fresh water set for the morning. The heavens are all round us, my little ones. Have no fear. Gently sighing and moaning, Ulrica moved about in her corner. Emma dropped a slipper and muttered consolingly. Thankfully, Miriam listened to Fräulein's short, deprecating footsteps pacing up and down the landing. She was safe from the dreadful challenge of conversation with her pupils. She felt hemmed in, in the stifling room with the landing full of girls all round her. She wanted to push away her screen, push up the hot white ceiling. She wished she could be safely upstairs with Mademoiselle, and the height of the candle-lit garret above her head. It could not possibly be hotter up there than in this stifling room with its draperies and furniture and gas. Fräulein came in very soon and turned out the light with a formal good-night greeting. For a while, after all the lights were out, she continued pacing up and down. Across the landing someone began to sneeze rapidly, sneeze after sneeze. Ach, die Millie, muttered Emma sleepily. For several minutes the sneezing went on. Sighs and impatient movements sounded here and there. Ruig, kinder, ruig. Millie shall soon sleep peacefully as all. 
Section 9 Miriam could not remember hearing Fräulein Pfaff go away when she woke in the darkness, feeling unendurably oppressed. She flung her sheet aside and turned her pillow over and pushed her frilled sleeves to her elbows. How energetic I am, she thought, and lay tranquil. There was not a sound. I shall never be able to sleep down here. It's too awful, she murmured, and puffed and shifted her head on the pillow. The winter may pass, the winter may pass, the winter may pass. The academy, a picture in very bright colors, a woman sitting by the roadside with a shawl round her shoulders and a red skirt and red cheeks and bright green country behind her. People moving about on the shiny floor. Someone just behind saying, that is plain air. These are the plain heiresses. The woman in the picture was like the housekeeper. A brilliant light flashed into the room. Lightning. How strange the room looked. The screens had been moved. The walls and corners and little beds had looked like daylight. Someone was talking across the landing. Emma was awake. Another flash came and movements and cries. Emma screamed aloud, sitting up in bed. Ach, Gott! Clara! Clara! she screamed. Cries came from the next room. A match was struck across the landing, and voices sounded. Gertrude was in the room, lighting the gas, and Clara tugging down the blind. Emma was sitting with her hands pressed to her eyes, quickly gasping. Ach, Clara! Mein Gott! Ach, Gott! On Ulrica's bed nothing was visible but a mound of bedclothes. The whole landing was astir. Fräulein's voice called up urgently from below. Section 10 Miriam was the last to reach the schoolroom. The girls were drawn up on either side of the gaslit room, leaving the shuttered windows clear. She moved to take a chair at the end of the table in front of the saal doors. Na, said Fräulein sharply from the sofa corner. Not there. In full current. Her voice shook. Miriam drew the chair to the end of the room of figures and sat down next to Solomon Martin. The wind rushed through the garden. The thunder rattled across the sky. Oh, Clara! Fräulein! Nine! gasped Emma. She was sitting opposite, between Clara and Jimmy with flushed face and eyes strained wide, twisting her linked hands against her knees. Jimmy patted her wrist. It's all right, Emkin, she muttered cheerfully. Nine, Christina, jerked Fräulein sharply. I will not have that, to touch the flesh. You understand all? That you know, all. Such immodesty. Miriam leaned forward and glanced. Fräulein was sitting very upright on the sofa in a shapeless black cloak, with her hands clasped on her breast. Near her was Ulrica in her trailing white dressing-gown, her face pressed against the back of the sofa. In the far corner, the other side of Fräulein, sat Gertrude in her grey ulster, her knees comfortably crossed, 
a quilted scarlet silk bedroom slipper sticking out under the hem of her ulster. The thunder crashed and pounded just above them. Everyone started and exclaimed. Emma flung her arms up across her face and sat back in her chair with a hooting cry. From the sofa came a hidden sobbing and gasping. Ach Himmel, ach Herr Jesus, ach du lieber, lieber Gott. Miriam wished they could see the lightning and be prepared for the crashes. If she were alone, she would watch for the flashes and put her fingers in her ears after each flash. The shock of the sound was intolerable to her. Once it had broken, she drank in the tumult joyfully. She sat tense and miserable, longing to get to bed. She wondered whether it would be of any use to explain to Fräulein that they would be safer in their iron bedsteads than anywhere in the house. She tried to distract her thoughts. Fancy Jimmy's name being Christina. It suited her exactly sitting there in her little striped dressing gown with its toby frill. How Harriet would scream if she could see them all sitting round. But she and Harriet had once lain very quiet and frightened in a storm by the sea. The thunder and lightning had come together, and someone had looked in and said, There won't be another like that, children. My boots, I should hope not, Harriet had said. For a while it seemed as though cannonballs were being thumped down and rumbled about on the floor above. Then came another deafening crash. Jimmy laughed and put up her hand to her loosely pinned topknot as if to see whether it was still there. Outcries came from all over the room. After the first shock, which had made her sit up sharply and draw herself convulsively together, Miriam found herself turning towards Solomon Martin, who had also stirred and sat forward. Their eyes met full and consulted. Solomon's lips were compressed. Her perspiring face was alight and determined. Miriam felt that she looked for long into those steady, oily, half-smiling brown eyes. When they both relaxed, she sat back, catching a sympathetic, challenging flash from Gertrude. She drew a deep breath and felt proud and easy. Let it bang, she said to herself. I must think of doors suddenly banging. That never makes me jumpy. And she sat easily breathing. Fräulein had said something in German in a panting voice, and Bertha had stood up and said, I'll get the Bible, Fräulein. Ay, bevara, Bertha, shouted Clara. Stay only here, stay only here. Nein, Bertha, nein, mein Kind, moaned Fräulein sadly. It's really perfectly all right, Fräulein, said Bertha, getting quietly to the door. As Fräulein opened the great book on her knees, the rain hissed down into the garden. Gott sei Dank, she said, in a clear childlike voice. It dot besser, wenn da regnet? inquired the housekeeper, looking round the room. She began vigorously wiping her face and neck with the skirt of the short cotton jacket she wore over her red petticoat. Ulrica broke into steady weeping. Fräulein read psalms, ejaculating the short phrases as if they were petitions. 
with a pause between each. When the thunder came, she raised her voice against it and read more rapidly. As the storm began to abate, a little party of English went to the kitchen and brought back milk and biscuits and jam. Section 11 You will be asleep, Miss Henderson. Miriam started at the sound of Ulrica's wailing whisper. Fräulein had only just gone. She had been sitting on the end of Emma's bed, talking quietly of self-control, and now Emma was asleep. Ulrica's corner had been perfectly quiet. Miriam had been lying listening to the steady swishing of the rain against the chestnut leaves. No, what is it? Oh, most wonderful. Ich bin so empfindlich. I am so sensible. Sensitive? Oh, it was most wonderful. Only here and I shall tell you. This evening when the storm leave himself down, it was exactly as my confirmation. Yes. It was as my confirmation. I think of that wonderful day. My white dress. The flower bouquet. And how I weep always. Oh, it was all the most beautifulest. I am so sensible. Oh, yes, whispered Miriam. I weeped so. All day I have weeped. The all whole day. And my Moser, she console me, I shall not weep. And I weep. Ah, it was of most beautifulest. Miriam felt as if she were being robbed. This was Ulrica. You remember the confirmation, miss? Oh, I remember. Have you weeped? We say cry, not weep, except in poetry. Finen, to cry. Have you cry? No, I didn't cry. But we mustn't talk. We must go to sleep. Good night. Gute Nacht. Ach, wie empfindlich bin ich. Wie empfindlich. Miriam lay thinking of how she and Harriet, on their confirmation morning, had met the vicar in the upper Richmond road, having gone out, contrary to the desire expressed by him at his last preparation class, and how he had stopped and greeted them. She had tried to look vague and sad and to murmur something in spite of the bull's-eye in her cheek, and had suddenly noticed as they stood grouped that Harriet's little sugar-loaf hat was askew, and her brown eye underneath it was glaring fixedly at the vicar above the little knob in her cheek, and how they somehow got away and went, gently reeling and colliding, moaning and gasping down the road out of hearing. Section 12 Early next morning Judy came in to tell Emma and Ulrica to get up at once and come and help the housekeeper make the rooms tidy and prepare breakfast. Miriam lay motionless while Emma unfolded and arranged the screens. Then she gazed at the ceiling. It was pleasant to lie tranquil, open-eyed and unchallenged, while others moved busily about. Two separate sudden and responding garglings almost startled her to thought. But she resisted, and presently she was alone in the strange room. 
she supposed it must be cooler after the storm she felt strong and languid she could feel the shape and weight of each limb sounds came to her with perfect distinctness the sounds downstairs and a low-voiced conversation across the landing little faint marks that human beings were making on the great wide stillness the stillness that brooded along her white ceiling and all round her and right out through the world the faint scent of her soap tablet reached her from the distant washstand she felt that her short sleep must have been perfect that it had carried her down and down into the heart of tranquillity where she lay awake and drinking as if at a source cool streams seemed to be flowing in her brain through her heart through every vein her breath was like a live cool stream flowing through her she remembered that she had dreamed her favorite dream floating through clouds and above treetops and villages she had almost brushed the treetops that had been the happiest moment and had caught sight of a circular seat round the trunk of a large old tree and a group of white cottages she stirred her hands seemed warm on her cool chest and the warmth of her body sent up a faint pleasant sense of personality it's me she said and smiled look here you'd better get up my dear she murmured she wanted to have the whole world in and be reconciled but she knew that if anyone came she would contract and the expression of her face would change and they would hate her or be indifferent she knew that if she even moved she would be changed get up she listened for a while to two voices across the landing Millie's thick and plaintive with her hay fever and bertha's thin and cold and level and reassuring bertha's voice was like the morning clean and cool then she got up and shut the door the sky was a vivid gray against its dark background the tops of heavy masses of cloud were standing up just above the roof-line of the houses beyond the neighboring gardens the trees and the gray roofs and the faces of the houses were staringly bright they were absolutely stiff nothing was moving there were no shadows a soft distant rumble of thunder came as she was dressing the storm was still going on what an extraordinary time of day for thunder the excitement was not over they were still a besieged party all staying at the Beanencorb together how beautiful it sounded rumbling away over the country in the morning when she had finished struggling with her long thick hair and put the hairpins into the solid coil on the top of her head and tied the stout double door-knocker plait at her neck she put on the rose-matter blouse the mirror was lower and twice as large as the one in the garret larger than the one she had shared with harriet how jolly i look she thought jolly and big somehow mother would like me this morning i am german-looking to-day pinky red and yellow hair but i haven't got a german expression and i don't smile like a german she smiled 
silly baby face doll never mind i look jolly she looked gravely into her eyes there's something about my expression her face grew wistful it isn't vain to like it it's something it isn't me it's something i am somehow oh do stay she said do be like that always she sighed and turned away saying in harriet's voice ooh crumbs this is no place for me section thirteen the sky seen from the summer-house was darker still there were no massed clouds nothing but a hard even dark copper-gray and away through the gap the distant country was bright like a little painted scene on the horizon the hard dark sky shut down at intervals thunder rumbled evenly far away miriam stood still in the middle of the summer-house floor it was half dark the morning sol lay in a hot sultry twilight the air in the summer-house was heavy and damp she stood with her half-closed hands gathered against her how perfectly magnificent she murmured gazing out through the hard half-darkness to where the brightly coloured world lay in a strip and ended on the hard sky yes yes came a sad low voice at her side for a second miriam did not turn she drank in the quiet yes yes the hard fixed scene seemed to move who loved it too the dark sky and the storm then she focused her companion who was standing a little behind her and gazed at fräulein she hardly saw her she seemed still to see the outdoor picture fräulein made a movement towards her and then she saw for a moment the strange grave young look in her eyes fräulein had looked at her in that moment as an equal it was as if they had embraced each other then fräulein said sadly you like the storm weather miss henderson yes fräulein sighed looking out across the country we are in the hollow of his hand she murmured come to your breakfast my child she chided smiling section fourteen there was no church late in the afternoon when the sky lifted they all went to the woods in their summer dresses and hats they had permission to carry their gloves and elsa spire's parasol and lace scarf hung from her wrist the sky was growing higher and lighter but there was no sun they entered the dark woods by a little well-swept pathway and for a while there was a strip of sky above their heads but presently the trees grew tall and dense the sky was shut out and their footsteps and voices began to echo about them as they straggled along grouping and regrouping as the pathway widened and narrowed gathering their skirts clear of the wet undergrowth they crossed a roadway and two carriage-loads of men and women talking and laughing and shouting with shining red faces passed swiftly by one close behind the other beyond the roadway the great trees towered up in a sort of twilight 
there were no flowers here but bright fungi shone here and there about the roots of the trees and they all stood for a moment to listen to the tinkling of a little stream pathways led away in all directions it was growing lighter there were faint checkers of light and shade about them as they walked the forest was growing golden all round them lifting and opening gold and green clearer and clearer there were bright jewelled patches in amongst the trees the boles of the trees shone out sharp grey and silver and flaked with sharp green leaves away and away until they melted into a mist of leafage singing sounded suddenly away in the wood a sudden strong shouting of men's voices singing together like one voice in four parts four shouts in one sound o oh, sun and shine o oh, sun and shine between the two exclamatory shouts the echo rang through the woods and the listening girls heard the sharp drip drip and murmur of the little stream near by then the voices swung on into the song strongly interwoven swelling and lifting dropping to a soft even staccato and swelling strongly out again wie scheinst du mir ins herz hinein wächst drinnen lauter liebeslust das mir so enge wird die brust o sonnenschein o sonnenschein when the voices ceased there was a faint distant sound of crackling twigs and the echo of talking and laughter ach studenten again dein männer gesang verein i think we ought to get back gertrude fraulein said only an hour altogether and it's church to-night we'll get back millennium mine never fear as they began to retrace their steps clara softly sang the last line of the song the highest note ringing faint and clear away into the wood hola a mighty answering shout rang through the wood it was like a word of command oh come along home clara what are you dreaming of taisez-vous taisez-vous clara c'est en mon dieu end of chapter eight